0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
1: It could be a bog-standard exchange on any dating app. A somewhat randy man asking a somewhat reluctant woman to meet up. You're not going to live with the Ukrainians. You need to be taken to Moscow ASAP. ASAP. I don't like to wait too long for sex.
2: But how do you start a relationship with a decent and faithful woman if you don't wait for her to be ready for
0: the next step?
1: Let's talk it out, frankly.
0: OK, let's talk. I am interested. I want to talk. Are you ready for a relationship? Yes, but I don't want to rush.
1: This is a real conversation from a dating app. But the voices we're using are two stories of our Times producers. Because the real people are an undercover Ukrainian woman and a Russian soldier. Meet Angelica.
2: I communicate with Russian soldiers and try to get to know some information that might be interesting and useful for Ukrainian intelligence.
1: In an undisclosed location in Ukraine, women like her are firing up their dating apps and chat lines daily because it's their mission. Flirt with enough lonely Russian soldiers, and in between all the ham fisted sexting, they could get some useful intelligence.
3: You know, even if you just ask, her, uh, How was your day to a guy in the trenches, you're probably going to get quite a lot of information about what they've been doing.
1: So, who are these women? How are the security services using the information they're gathering? And how do they deal with the, how shall we put it, overly amorous suitors? We've got a rare insider's account. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Today, the Ukrainian honey trappers ensnaring Putin's lonely soldiers.
2: My name is Angelica. Um, I'm Ukrainian. I'm situated in Ukraine.
1: This is one of the honey trappers. We're calling her Angelica. We're not going to use her real name for obvious reasons. A Ukrainian actor has lent their voice for the purposes of the podcast. What does Angelica do when first setting up a fake profile with the hope of attracting some armed Russians?
2: So, we thought about what kind of biography, what kind of information might be attractive for soldiers. So, we agreed on creating a legend that would be the most appropriate. For example, when we think about choosing a profession, it shouldn't be something really difficult. It seems to me that a typical Russian soldier would be attracted to a woman who has a PhD in biophysics. Um, so yes, I don't want to sound rude, but we try to find some professions like barista or waitress or hairdresser or something like this. Also, girls should be attractive, but they should look attainable. So when we talk about the most popular fake account that we used, it wasn't the most beautiful girls. It was the girls who, in my humble opinion, Are not so outstandingly beautiful.
1: And when you have an account that seems to be doing really well, do you try and use that same account again and again for lots of different men?
2: Actually, I have been using one account for maybe about a year.
1: There is plenty more from Angelica, plenty more in a moment. But let's hear first from the journalist behind this story, our former Kyiv correspondent. He speaks Ukrainian handily and spent 14 years bouncing around various bits of the former Soviet Union and has been back reporting in Ukraine many times since the war began.
3: I'm Maxim Tucker and I'm an assistant foreign editor at The Times. Tell us about this quite wild story you've been investigating. So it's this very interesting story about how Ukrainian women working for a private intelligence firm have been honey trapping Russian soldiers on dating apps and luring them into to giving out different kinds of information that could be used by and passed on to the Ukrainian intelligence services. How did they start
1: doing this, using this method of trying to get information out of Russian soldiers?
3: So at the very beginning of the war Ukrainian women in kind of border areas started noticing that they were being offered matches on on Tinder and other dating apps for Russian soldiers who'd entered Ukraine you know invading Russian soldiers and some of them decided that they would match with them and try and find out some information that could be passed on. And then Tinder was then shut down in Russia. But since then, this intelligence firm have found other ways to other dating apps that they can match with Russian soldiers and continue on gathering intelligence. And why are they doing
1: it? Is this out of just the goodness of their own hearts, this company, or is it some kind of contract that they've got with the, with the Ukrainian military or intelligence?
3: They do this work pro bono. They are all obviously have relatives and friends fighting against the Russians. And, and you know it's Ukraine is a society now in, in total war to try and defend itself. I think also they see a benefit in developing links with Ukrainian intelligence that they can use for other aspects of their work. So how do they actually go about doing this then? So the women are sitting two hours a day in their offices going through dating applications and they're swiping right to attract Russian soldiers in uniform, and they're just rejecting all the um, people in civilian clothes that they see. And the idea, surely, is that they can never let the conversation and the
1: faux flirtation get to the point where they actually have to meet these people.
3: Yeah, so that's quite funny. They have to deploy various interesting excuses as to, as to why they can't meet. You know, sometimes it's quite convenient because the soldiers are in trenches for, for months at a time, and then they only have a week off. And actually, it's inconvenient because a sister is in town or something like this. And they do sometimes have to have actual telephone conversations, but they stop short if they don't do any video recordings or things like that. And you said that the women doing this do it for about two hours
1: a day from an office. I assume, then, do they have other jobs? Is this a sort of, again, a sort of pro bono side hustle for the war effort.
3: Yeah, it is a, a side hustle for the war effort, but they are also gathering other kinds of intelligence that can be useful to the war effort and performing other tasks. Mm. I don't think I, I can say too much more about that. Oh, I see. Um, but they had been doing that before the war, and, and you know, that's why they're good at it. They, they understand how to charm these people into giving up information. We're going to hear about one woman in particular
1: who does this. We're calling her Angelica. Obviously, we're not going to give her real name because of the of
3: the work she does. You met her, you spoke to her. What was she like? She's very charming, she's very articulate and very smart and, and very determined.
2: I have worked at Molfar Ossetangian Agency for two or three years. I started working for Molfar before the war.
3: Impressive considering that, you know, her brother has been killed in the early days of the war and her, her father is still fighting. Um, it must be incredibly difficult, I thought, for, for her to be talking to these Russian soldiers when she knows that they are trying to kill her friends and family.
2: All my family live in different cities, but all of these cities are being shelled by Russian missiles. Actually, I'm used to calling my mom and it has become quite trivial for her to say that we've heard several terrible explosions, um, but everything is fine.
1: So, Angelica, we're going to keep your identity secret for obvious reasons, to keep you safe, but is there anything else you can tell us about yourself? Things you enjoy, any hobbies you have away from work?
2: So, unfortunately, I don't have any kind of special hobby something like sniping or martial arts, (laughs) Charlie Angel stuff. Um, But I have quite trivial hobbies, so I like reading a lot, camping, hiking, walking. I'm into shopping, into self-care stuff and so on. Nothing extraordinary.
1: Do you, um, and some of the women who who are doing this, do you have boyfriends or girlfriends or or husbands or what have you at home um, while you're doing this? And does that help or is that complicating?
2: I have a partner. I think it helps to have a person who you can share your emotions with. It doesn't prevent me from doing this at all. It doesn't cause any jealousy. I think everyone in Ukraine understands.
1: So part of your job is now to communicate with Russian soldiers using this fake profile on a dating app. Did you have experience of dating apps before the war? Had you, had you ever, ever used them in real life?
2: You know, it seems to me that uh, almost every woman has experience of communicating with men or women on dating apps. So it wasn't something new to me. It was new to me not to be presented as myself, but instead to use some generated photos and a fake name.
1: And the profiles that you set up on those apps, it's not your picture, your name. So how do you build them? What information do you use? What pictures do you use?
2: We generate pictures of girls using artificial intelligence. The photos that I'm using are of girls who is in her 20s. We tried to generate as many similar pictures as possible in different settings. For example, not only selfies, but photos outside, inside, maybe in a swimming suit or something like this.
1: So you have your profile set up, you're ready to go. When you first set about trying to match with Russian men, were you nervous? Were you excited? How did you feel?
2: I think I was neither nervous or excited. It was just part of my job. So it was my task to maybe create some standards and to make it easier for people who might want to do it in the future. We didn't have, like, uh, any exact instructions.
1: Coming up. Her profile is set up. So, how does Angelica go about matching with Russian soldiers, flirting with them, and pumping them for information? And how does the Ukrainian intelligence service use the information she gets? That's in a moment.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves.
1: How did you go about picking which soldiers to match with? Because obviously your aim is to try and connect with people who might have information which is useful. So how can you tell who's the best person to match with just from their profiles?
2: Firstly, it was quite difficult because I'm not a military man. I don't understand uniforms. I don't understand ranks. So firstly, I tried to match with every person who was wearing uniform. And after that, I tried to identify whether this person might be useful or not.
1: Do you take age into account? If someone looks older, do you think that they might be more useful to connect with?
2: It depends. Sometimes, of course, a person might look older, but still they might not have a high position. Sometimes they might just be a part of the Wagner group. Um, It's very rare to see officers on dating apps, like officers wearing their uniform.
1: And what about, I I take your point about how age doesn't necessarily have much of an effect, but the younger ones must be a bit too Keen, is that fair to say? A bit too interested in having a woman get in touch with them and contact them.
2: I'm sorry, can you say that again?
1: Yeah, I don't know how I'm trying to phrase this. Um, Are the the young ones a bit too, a bit too amorous?
2: You mean they are too interested in sex (laughs) or something like that? Exactly.
1: That's what I was trying to say.
2: (laughs) Maybe it doesn't depend on age, you know. Um, It depends on a person. Most of the Russian soldiers I communicated with are interested in romantic relationships, sex, and so on. But if a person is only interested in sex, it's usually impossible to talk about anything else.
1: How many soldiers are you usually talking to at
2: any one time? For now, I'm talking to one soldier, and uh, we have been talking for quite a long time. But there were times when I talked to maybe five to seven guys at the same time. Yeah.
1: And what's your opinion of them? I understand you've got quite a, um, what is it, a, a rude nickname for them?
2: Yes, we call some ogres. <laughs> Um So what is my opinion? I think they are really intellectually deprived. They are over self-confident. I've had a lot of cases where guys uh, who are not good-looking at all, they were quite confident and they believed that this young girl was really into them. So, in general, I can say that they are really stupid. (laughs) So, it's very difficult to find a person who writes in Russian without mistakes. Even though Russian is not my native language, I can write in Russian much better than most of them.
1: So it's not, it doesn't sound like you would ever fall for them.
2: Not at all. You know, even if you don't take into consideration the fact that uh, they came to my country to kill my people. Usually, I can compare the process of communicating with them with um, babysitting. So if you ever had maybe younger siblings, You know how irritating it sometimes might be to take care of them, to communicate with them, to take them everywhere you go. But when we talk about siblings, somewhere deep inside you still love them. And you understand that uh, they grow up to become better people. And they get smarter. (laughs) Here I don't have any chance for something like this happening.
1: So, the messages that they send you, what kind of information can you get out of them?
2: Usually it's something that might be interesting for our intelligence. It can be anything from numbers of troops to some information about people who were wounded, injured, and so on. What do they want to talk to you about? They want to talk about some romantic stuff. For example, when they get retired from the army and we are going to live somewhere in Krasnodar and have a happy family and so on. Sometimes they share their day-to-day life. Sometimes they complain about something that is happening. So actually, one guy which I'm talking to now He likes sharing different videos of girls. And he likes judging them, saying something like, oh, she's such a slut, and so on.
1: Oh, okay. And I know you can't talk much about the man that you're currently talking to, but is there anyone in particular you can tell us about from the past who you've you've chatted with? I think there might have been someone called Maxim, not the the Times journalist, obviously, a, a different Maxim.
2: Uh, Yeah, he was quite suspicious, and that's why we finished our communication. But he was quite useful because he worked as an instructor for people who are doing this uh, compulsory military service who were freshly mobilized. And he informed us about some of the processes and so on.
1: Angelica did tell us a bit more about this.
2: Also, he told that...
1: Things that Maxim, this military instructor, told her, which proved useful.
2: And about, like, uh, how it's happening.
1: But I'm afraid we can't share any more of it to protect her safety and, of course, the ongoing effectiveness of this intelligence operation. These relationships and these conversations that you have, how long does it usually last?
2: The longest one has been happening for a year but they might last from a couple of weeks to two months. The problem is that now the officers have told their personnel not to use mobile phones. And also the soldiers want to have some validation of identity and they very often insist on video calls, on meeting and so on. So now it's more difficult and periods of conversation are getting shorter.
1: Why do the conversations usually end?
2: Once it finished, because uh, I couldn't meet with the person. Also, sometimes they just disappear and don't answer. In this case, I hope they have died.
1: In some cases, Angelica's wish might just be coming true. We think Ukrainian intelligence services are using the information to actually target Russian soldiers on the battlefield. But how? Back to our guide, The Times' is Maxim Tucker.
3: Well, I think it's all small snippets of information that can be pieced together as a jigsaw puzzle to kind of reveal the bigger picture. So they'll get an idea of of morale, an idea of equipment, sometimes an idea of location of troops, uh, whether the troops have been hit recently by Ukrainians, you know, even if you just ask a how was your day to a guy in the trenches, you're probably going to get quite a lot of information. You know, whether the Russians feel that they're fighting for the right thing, whether they're being rewarded in the way that Putin has promised. Um, that Some of the information they had was that actually the benefits were being cut rather than increased for, for soldiers serving in Ukraine. All of which is, is very useful for Ukrainian intelligence. And do we know
1: if there have been any instances where some of this information that they've got through this method has then directly led to the Ukrainian military or or security services actually doing something.
3: It's a bit of a one-way street. So they're passing information to the Ukrainian intelligence services and the the Ukrainian intelligence services are not telling them how they're using that information. Mm. They have their own security reasons for that. But they did say that, you know, sometimes after they passed information on, the Russians they were in contact with very abruptly stopped communicating suggesting perhaps they'd been wounded or or, or killed as a result of the information they'd passed on.
1: And this is one firm with one group of women doing this. Do we know if there are other intelligence agencies or, or just free agents doing this as well?
3: Well, certainly at the beginning of the war, there, there were free agents doing this. Um, it's quite difficult to do it in the systematic way that the MOLFAR have managed to do and, and, and provide useful intelligence rather than just very, very kind of piecemeal snippets of information. Um, and it's also quite risky for for the women involved. So unless you take very good measures to protect their identity. There could be repercussions against them. It could be targeted. Mm. I mean, I think we can rely on the fact that the Ukrainian intelligence services probably have their own teams who are also doing this work, or very similar work. And from your vantage point, have you got a sense of, of how helpful
1: this is to the overall war effort?
3: It's unlikely that you'll get better intelligence on troop conditions than from the horse's mouth. You know, um, you know, some some of this information will be more reliable than the Russian generals have about the conditions of their troops because they fed lies up the, the chain to make it seem like everything is is going well. So I think it is it is very useful for the Ukrainians. They get a, a good picture of of what conditions are like in the trenches for these Russian troops, um, what their morale is like, where they might want to strike next because there'll be mm. a weaker unit with less training.
1: That's, that's interesting. So so that's the that's the useful thing of knowing how the Russian soldiers are feeling and, and what morale is like. It, it arguably makes them a, an easier target.
3: Absolutely. If, if you talk to a guy who's just said, I've just been sent here three weeks ago and I had two weeks of infantry training and you know they don't have tanks and you know they don't have artillery support, they might be complaining about that. Um, and you know the rough location of the person you're talking to. That gives you a pretty good idea of, of where there's a weak spot in the Russian lines.
1: So, Angelica, do you ever think about what you might do if you actually met one of these soldiers that you have been chatting to?
2: I would like to say something like I would shoot him, but I have never even held a gun in my hands. So maybe in some parallel universe I would do something like this, but on another hand, it seems to me too light punishment.
1: Whenever we hear... President Putin speaking, he always talks about how brilliant Russians are, how amazing Russian men are, how the armed forces are the greatest in the world. If you could speak to him, what would you tell him?
2: I hope that someday it will be possible, not only for me, but for a lot of Ukrainians to meet Putin at Independence Square in Kyiv without any security without any troops to protect him. I just want him to pay for the death, for the destruction he caused. It's not only my right to have a revenge, but it's the right of all Ukrainian people, of everyone who has lost somebody in this useless, this outrageous war.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Luke Jones, and my guest, Maxim Tucker, Assistant Foreign Editor at The Times. You can find all of Maxim's work at thetimes.co.uk or by picking up a print copy of the paper. The producer was Olivia Case, the executive producers are Kate Ford and James Shield, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story that you think we should be covering, maybe you've got an idea for a future episode, Uh, maybe you've just got thoughts on what you've heard. Let us know any time. You can email us storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Goodbye.